0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Enlighten Me podcast. I'm your host Mackenzie and thanks for joining me today. As you may already know, I am continuing to postpone my regular posting schedule for the podcast in order to help amplify black voices. So come July, I will be bringing different types of content but for the rest of the month, I just wanted to dedicate this to focusing on the racial issues that we are facing in this country and really everywhere. So for this recast, I am re-airing an episode that I recorded with my friend Justin. He is another friend that I met from grad school and someone I really, really, really truly admire. Uh, You'll hear more about what he does in this episode, but he currently serves as the director of a diversity center for a university and is working on his Ph.D., He's passionate about college experiences for minority groups, specifically racial minorities, but really all kinds of people, just so that we can seek to continue to close the achievement gap between races. So this conversation I think really demonstrates what systemic racism looks like, That's a term that's been floating around, and if you don't know what it means, I think this conversation might help you to understand, and we're going to be talking about it more next week on the podcast also, but I think Justin does a great job of explaining this, both from a personal standpoint and just from a standpoint that he's witnessed through his career. He is someone who is just going to do big things, and I know you will enjoy learning from him. He's already had an impact on several students' lives, and I just know he's going to keep doing that, so I really think you'll enjoy him today. Please don't forget to leave a rating or review for the show. I'm still donating money on your behalf to two awesome organizations. So thanks to you guys, I've been able to donate money to Water Mission to help provide clean water for people across the globe and also to Young Life, which is seeking to minister to young students, specifically in high school and middle school, and do super awesome things like summer camps. So thank you for helping me to help those really awesome charities. And also make sure you're subscribed to the show because you'll get notified whenever new episodes are available, including next week and July and all that good stuff. So subscribe, leave a review, and enjoy learning from Justin. Here's to listening and learning together. What is up, everybody? You are listening to the Enlighten Me podcast, and I'm your host, Mackenzie. I'm so glad that you are listening in today. I have had this conversation in store for quite a while, and I've been looking for the perfect time to share it, and I thought today, February 28th, the last day of Black History Month, was the perfect time to share it. For this episode, I interviewed my dear friend, Justin Rose. Justin is currently the director of the Diversity Center at University of Illinois Springfield, a small liberal arts school that is part of the University of Illinois system in Springfield, Illinois. Justin is also working on his PhD in higher education, which is where we met when I was doing my master's work there. We got to share in lots of classes together, lots of good conversations, And I always knew that Justin would be an awesome guest to have on the show. He has a particular interest in studying black male identity development, which might sound like kind of a confusing term right now, but he will explain more about what this means. Essentially, in this conversation, we were talking about how black males are viewed in our society, how they get to college, and why or why not they stay in college. I think this is a very relevant conversation, as black males are one of the poorest subgroups in the United States. There's a really big achievement gap when you compare black males to other races and genders, and this is important not just from a humanitarian standpoint, but even just looking at the success of our society. A lot of these trends exist outside of the u.s too so i think it's a relevant conversation for everybody and i know for me it hits close to home because i primarily work with black males in the college setting so that's why i'm really interested in this conversation but i think that as we continue these conversations about race and racism and systemic racism if you've heard of that it's important to look at these trends as they relate to higher education and college achievement and the disparities that exist because these aren't just a coincidence And then we can also address stereotypes that we may have ourselves. Again, I wanted to release this episode today in honor of Black History Month, because I want to recognize black history and the things that have been achieved, but also the ways that we still can grow. I think acknowledging history in these conversations is very important. If you listen to my episode where I talk with Janelle about racism, we talk about why considering the context of history matters. But even if you didn't, you're going to enjoy this conversation. Justin is the perfect person to have this type of conversation with because he himself is a black male and can talk about his personal experiences, but he's also just such a fun and lighthearted person. I seriously have such an easy time talking to him. Even though I'm a white girl, I never worry about offending him or saying the wrong thing. He just makes me feel very comfortable, he's easy to talk to, and he has so much wisdom to share. He is also quite the trooper because I will tell you that we had to record this conversation two different times, several months apart, because the audio on the first recording was just not great and so I asked him if he would be up for doing it again and he, without hesitation, said yes. So he's a great friend to me, I appreciate him so much, he's very insightful, he's super fun, and I just know you're going to love our conversation. As you start to listen, don't forget to go ahead and leave a rating or review on iTunes, I would prefer five stars, but I will take whatever you will give. It helps other people to find the show. It helps me out. gives me positive affirmation, all the good things. So please don't forget to do that. And now you can sit back and relax and enjoy this conversation with Justin Rose. All right. Hey, Justin. Welcome to the podcast. Hey
1: there. Hey there. How you doing, Mackenzie?
0: Good. How about you? Uh,
1: Not a lot to complain about. Things are going great for me. So um, health, school-wise, Professionally, I'm all in a stable place. So, good. can't ask for too much yes. more. Yes,
0: good. I love to hear that. Can you just introduce yourself for everybody that's listening and kind of talk about what you are up to right now?
1: Sure. So, hi, everyone. My name is Justin Rose. Wow. What do I start? It's really, uh, <laughs> you got to <laughs> humble yourself sometimes when you're doing introductions. So, um, <laughs> I like to start by saying, like, environment matters to me. So, I'm from the west side of Chicago for any listeners out there who cares about Illinois Uh and in particular Chicago. Uh, I uh, work at the University of of Illinois Springfield. It's one of the U of I system schools. It's a small liberal arts institution. I actually did my undergrad education there and my master's work there. And then I thought about scaling it up and now I'm doing my doctoral work at Uh, UIUC, so the flagship institution, um, Mm -hmm. Urbana-Champaign, currently studying. um, Let me take a step back. In my undergrad work, I studied um, interpersonal communication with a minor in African-American studies. And for my master's work at UIS, um, University of Illinois Springfield, I did public administration to kind of get that, you know, more understanding about government structures and organization. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, I was getting to the point to say I'm doing my doctoral studies in higher education, uh, at Urbana-Champaign with an emphasis you know on um, student development and support services. Um, my ultimate goal for getting there for future career goals mm-hmm. um, is to be a chancellor or president of a university.
0: Okay so you got a lot going on and you got some big goals which is awesome uh, and I know just from being in school with you and talking with you that one of the areas you're interested in researching is black mm-hmm. male identity development in higher education, um, so can you talk about kind of what made you become interested in that?
1: Oh, uh, sure. For me, this is a this has always been like a personal endeavor to really like learn more about um, the black male identity um, and identification as a whole, mm-hmm. and so kind of just that whole diversity awareness piece, like what is. A black male um, in society. What's his value? What's his worth? And then when you scale that up and talk about higher education, you know how do we recruit and provide access to black males, and what retention tools need to be in place to enrich the lives of black male students? And then ultimately, like we said, graduate them and and get them back into the workforce. And so for me, that was my story. Um, I knew I had some worth. I just needed to find an institution or area where. You know, someone can where it can be developed. Mm-hmm. And so I had the opportunity to be a part of a, a initiative at UIS, uh, the Black Male Initiative. Mm-hmm. And that really was the, the like the, the kickoff of me. It was the leap pad to kind of see what my what, what the quality of life could be for me and experiences that I had. And how they were similar to others. So I kind of put all my energy in as a student leader to kind of, you know, make the campus better for other black males who was there at the time. And then how could we grow this thing and have it be something that can be a, you know, a standing tool, a standing retention tool. So I did all I could in that initiative. And it it took me into my uh, master's work where I was able to receive a fellowship. And that's when I really kind of started to do the scholastic work. Right. The other piece you could say was field work or, you know, I don't even want to say practitioner because I didn't have a job, but it was more about being in the, you know, the nitty gritty, rolling up my sleeves and working with others. But then to mm-hmm. do the scholastic work behind it about that access and recruiting and retention to see, all right, something is happening in these high schools and in this K through 12 system. Something is happening in society, in your society, right? Something is happening from incarceration to you know, poverty rates to things of that nature and just socialization, something that's happening amongst peers. So seeing how all those factors play a role together, yeah, and that we could kind of make a change. If we got these individuals into higher education, it kind of made, it kind of perked my professional interest and in saying that I want to take, take this on as a research project to see how do I in, introduce a passport to manhood? How do I introduce a lifestyle of cultural awareness and community engagement and get us as black males back into the framework um, of being heads of households, leaders in our communities, mm. and just just overall just well-rounded individuals who can be contributors to society. Um, so that 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 became my interest. You know, how do I ultimately fight for the needs of other? Black males like me and for future generations of Black males.
0: Yeah, totally. So with that, you said it was kind of like a personal journey and it started for you while you were still in undergrad in college. So would you say that that was like, was it you seeing people around you, like with certain struggles that you felt like, I don't don't know, were stemming from the things they had faced because they were a Black Mm -hmm. male? Or was it, like a lack of diversity in your college where you just noticed like there aren't that many people that look like me that are succeeding or what, what kind of made you open your eyes or was it something that you'd always been aware of, like, because of where you grew up or yeah, something All like that? great,
1: all great questions and all, and all of those pieces, <laughs> Kind of matter uh, to, yeah. to me being passionate about this work um, from community, family structure. I mean, that's kind of like our first institution, right? That's our first institution. And I, right. I didn't see much from a black male identity standpoint other than, you know, the streets. You know, a lot of my family grew up in the streets from mm-hmm. survival mechanisms and in the form of gangs, and looking for their own set of community, right? Even though it's a stereotype, it mm-hmm. was true, it played out. Um, In my community, from community centers, having coaches. I was a big sports guy, but seeing my coaches who, you know, would give me that male figure um, that I was that was missing. I grew up without my father for a a large part of my life. Um, And it's always a tug and pull relationship, even present day. But that was something that kind of made me kind of, you know, tick a little different. Like, I just didn't want to, you know, be in that same type of bracket of individuals. So that also influenced And so if we move it along, um, like I said, family, um, community, back at home, and then even getting to college, um, you you asked, was it people who looked like me or was it a lot? It was not. When I got to UIS, the percentage of minorities as a whole was um, less than 40%. And I mean, that was multi-race. That was Hispanic. That was black, that was Native American, that was everything, and then it got it dwindled even more when you look when you look for other black males, right when you run that permutation of gender and race and it, it just really was a thing where I said, "Hey, with the little handful of black males that we have on campus, what can we do? Can we do something yeah and so that kind of was my I want to say my first piece of like social justice like we're gonna bond together, we're gonna make it you know some some space for us on campus physically and just like as a whole informally, this will be our space. So, and then, you know, just, just the people you you, you see in a community, like when you got, when I got to higher ed, like I was able to be exposed to, you know, going to boys and girls clubs and seeing other leaders in the community from the NAACP and the urban league. And these individuals, these were men, no one in particular, but but people belong to these organiz- these historical organizations who I said Oh, I could possibly be in that framework with them. I can possibly make a change, so it was kind of um it was a little hodgepodge of everything that piqued my interest, but at, at the root of it, it was I just didn't wanna be the stereotypical black male. I knew that it was higher education, mm-hmm. I made it there, and others had made it there, and that we had an obligation to do our work to promote more i guess equity or parity for future generations so um, that that's what it was for me okay
0: yeah totally combination of a lot of things but that's really interesting and with that I'll ask too can you talk a little bit about your current job on campus right now outside of what you're working on with getting your PhD but also your job and kind of how that connects to like these passions of yours
1: for sure um so Uh, My title is a student program advisor, Uh, but it's loaded, right? That's just the title. Uh, The main crux of the position is to do a lot of student recruitment and retention. And again, all those efforts that focus on underrepresented diverse students to kind of help them, you know, reach graduation and, you know, and graduate. So we put a lot of focus on the internal and external um, development and outreach for those students. yeah. But in my role, I provide a lot of oversight and coordination for our first generation programs, for our Black Male Initiative, for our Hispanic and Latinx Initiative, for our Women's Center, all of these what we would call um, racial minorities or gender minority groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I oversee that and I kind of infuse different learning outcomes for student development if it's applicable, right? It's not always applicable, but just making them uh, making making the students aware of different outcomes when we engage in programming. How can I help students acquire knowledge around diversity awareness about different races and cultures and religious beliefs? How can I help students build foundation and knowledge about, you know, engaging in intercultural dialogue? Right. Or even just from a cognitive standpoint, how do I take your experiences and almost kind of meet them in the middle and have with someone else and have some type of tangible growth, right? Not to change someone, but just some tangible growth. How do I enhance the identity or solidify any thought processes you have about yourself or about your culture, Mm -hmm. leadership opportunities, you know, like from conference opportunities or research opportunities, you know, just putting students around those things. And, um, again, working with all of my other colleagues to, um, really get at this diversity, equity and inclusion work. So how do we work collaboratively to promote fair and social justice practices that, you know, a student can benefit from, from using our service and career services and counseling. Like How do we pull everyone into the framework? So that's another piece um, of my job to make sure that um, we're working comprehensively to create an educational structure where multicultural programming and multiculturalism is a real thing and diversity is a real thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's really neat. Um. I know people are probably interested in learning more about that. So I'll ask you a few more questions about that yeah. later. But going back to like what you research right now with your doctoral degree, what would you say like, what are some things that you've been learning? And why do you think this is important? Like, I feel like this is a really big conversation that's kind of like going on in our country right now? Or you know if it's not it needs to be but why do you think this is like an important topic to research for people that have like no like have maybe never thought about this before like oh yeah i, I guess i hadn't thought about why that would be important to think about
1: oh yeah that's a great piece uh, a great question I, I think if i had to just put it in layman's terms i mean we hear all these phrases or we cut on the news whatever outlet that we get our information from and we hear about poverty and incarceration and being locked out of employment opportunities or the struggles in the classroom for, for just your everyday high school student, Those things are amplified when we think about the identity of black males, uh, some of the stereotype threat that is placed upon them and the things that we start to believe as our own reality. And so the reason why this work is important, and, it, and again, it start, it should start way before higher education. Um, is if we don't correct or restore some of that justice for black males, then they only plague our social system. They only plague our government systems in a way that we don't want, right? So college readiness never happens. Mm -hmm. Um, Mismatch of jobs occurs more readily, um, or even just, again, a a bog or a a drain on unemployment, right? right? And it's just one of those things that It leaves households depleted. It just continues a cycle of intergenerational disadvantages um, for black males. And so the reason why I want to get in and study this work and try to make a tangible change is because I was that student. Uh, I was the student who was in the school system who was overlooked or demonized for being passionate or demonized for being a student who just didn't have all of the resources to kind of keep up with my, my peers. And so yeah. to be able to communicate to the public and others through my research and my scholarly practice that it takes everyone. It's not a one man show. I'm not going to be able to do it all alone. We need our community action agencies. Yeah, uh, We need our community centers, which I spoke about, whether that's through sports and other you know, after school programs. Uh, we need solid households we need good k-12 through school systems and so always trying to be in the face of a politician always trying to be in the face of those individuals in our community who make those big decisions not just in washington but just every day and just trying to say how we can influence the experience of a black male and change the perception that they have about themselves that's why this work matters to me and that's why it should matter to everyone who's listening.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think what you said, too, was really cool. Like, even if there was somebody that didn't care, I I hope this isn't the case, but even right. if there was somebody listening that was like, I don't care about minorities. Like, I just don't care about that. It's like what you were saying is like the better that all subgroups like of our society do, like the better it is for all of right. us, like the more people that are going to college, the better it is for our entire economy and workforce and everything. Exactly. So like even if you didn't care about, you know, these specific groups of people that we're talking about, it's really helpful to all of us when other people succeed.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's you you said it perfectly. I mean, it just it pulls everyone in a in a positive direction towards like just accomplishing yeah. something, right? Like equal access, right? If we really right. want to live that out, that's what we have to do.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. No, that's really helpful to understand. And I think probably helps people to understand like why the behind the scenes research that you're doing is important. And I always like that because you see like so much stuff like on TV and, you know, on social media and whatnot about like all these action steps that people are taking. But we also need the people that are like behind the scenes, like Mm -hmm. you doing the research, like the desk work and the, you know, all the hours you spend researching and writing and everything. Like we need that to help us understand, like, why are we here and what do we need to do? So I think that's really cool. Thank you. So, okay. Also, randomly, have you seen that show? Um, It's a newer show. I'm, it might be on demand. We just got cable for the first time. So I don't know if you've seen it, but um, <laughs> Cable's it's called expensive right now. I know. Oh, my gosh. It's oh my killer. God. But with the package, with the Wi-Fi, it's not as bad. But literally, a football season is the only reason we did it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I got triple. Here's uh, a funny joke. I have the triple play, but I don't have a house phone. But I, I did it for the bundle deal. It's a great bundle deal.
0: Right. <laughs> yes, that's what people say. Like, oh, yeah, we pay for the house phone just because it's cheaper to do it. <laughs> like, oh, man. Yeah. But okay, so there's this show. It's called America to Me, I think, is what it's called. Oh wow! Have you heard of that? I have not. Okay, you should look it up because it is a docu series in one of the high schools in the Chicago area.
1: I take that back. With the principal, <laughs> with the principal, he's a
0: yes. Yes,
1: he comes from. Oh, wait, American and Me is for Oak Park River Forest. Yep,
0: yep, yes, yep. Yes, I take okay. it back.
1: Yes, I did. I, I only took. I only checked out an episode. And I only checked out an episode because I recruited a student from Oak Park River Forest this year. And he's oh, in my okay. program. Yeah. a phenomenal student. But uh, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. I bet everything that's playing through that documentary is everything that my student is. Like, he's a dynamic right. student. But again, yeah. um, you know, he is one who did not, get to connect fully with his roots while being at O Park River Forest, if that makes sense. Right. Super at super culturally aware. Yeah, totally. Super like ethnic study, like focus and things of that nature. And and just really artistic. But then being in a community where it wasn't a lot of students at OPRF who looked like him was challenging and it plays yeah. out in college present day. So having them a part of my organization and having them mm-hmm. a part of my programming um, has really helped like restore some of that perception that was lost of who he was and that identity crisis that he uh, yeah. is facing. And, I, I mean, it's a it's not a project. I don't want to make it, you know, you don't do that. It's not a social experiment or anything. But you can see some of the social and sure. emotional learning that, that was missed, right? right? Not even just the academic. Like, academics are there, but yes. some of the social and emotional pieces that's missing, Yes.
0: Yeah, I think it's they do a really good job of not like taking a side or anything or like, I don't know, it's pretty objective, I think. And it's just interesting. It's it's very interesting to see how these dynamics play out like in that high school and kind of makes you aware, like especially for me and probably you two Mm -hmm. working with or working with college students, you know, I have so many that come in that are just so behind. And I'm like, man, yeah. if this had only been addressed in high school. But then when you watch this show, you're like, man, this really should have been addressed yeah. in like kindergarten or first grade, probably like it's, it's kind of, it, I wouldn't say it's like depressing or anything to watch, but it is really interesting. So highly recommend it for people that haven't heard of it before. Uh, so, yeah. All right. I'm glad that you know what I'm talking about, because yeah. I figured that would hit home for you being in Chicago. All right, so kind of since we're talking about minority groups and, you know, we'll talk more about like specifically on being on college campuses, but what do you think, like there there's so much racial tension in our country right now, a lot of stereotypes about, you know, the group that you identify with as a black male, a lot of stereotypes just in general about minorities. If you could like speak to people right now about some stereotypes or a stereotype that really irks you, or I don't know, maybe that you feel like people aren't aware of this stereotype. Would there be anything for you that you would want to educate people on? Uh,
1: the, I would say the, the stereotype that it's not a college-going culture for Black males, that we don't want to go to college. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. I think every yeah. student wants a chance at some type of you know, college experience to better their, you know, they might not call it socioeconomic status, but to better their quality of life. And so, you yeah. know, generally we'll say, oh, they don't want to go to college or, you know, they're, you know, they're avoiding, the, you know, the process. But it's so much danger and it's so much and I, I use danger in a, in a loaded way. It's so much danger of going to college or even having an opportunity um, to go to college from, again, your own community, sometimes your own peers. They, they don't understand sometimes your family support isn't there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the high schools don't, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't prepare you. They're underfunded, under-resourced. The colleges that you might have aspirations of going to never come to visit, right? Your high school because it's so, it's in a terrible district and network. um, So you can't really even get a college Mm -hmm. recruiter out there. Uh So, you know, just hearing danger, it's just a lot. And then for those who do, right, break the mold and and end up in the college going culture and they go, the danger amplifies again, right, that we do want to succeed, but how? We get access to, but how do we get access within? And so that's why I'm happy I'm one of those individuals who's, who is within to challenge some of those view, viewpoints and help students really navigate the process because it's a process. You want to quit some days, uh, but that's not, the true narrative uh, for everyone is just—it's—it's it's just a lot. It's a lot. So the stereotype that we don't want to go to college or that we don't want to succeed—I think that's the one that I would really want to dispel um, as a myth, yeah. um, because we do want—we yeah. do want it. It's just sometimes not—not a, not a lot of opportunity, and it's more danger to do so.
0: Right. That's good. I think that's probably one that more people have than would realize it maybe like just based on things that they've witnessed or whatever, like certain people that they've been around, like probably a lot of people, myself included, not to say I'm above any of that, that would probably say that's a stereotype that they've had in their head before not even realizing it. So I think yeah. that's good. Okay. So I want to ask you more about like being on the college campus specifically first. Okay. So affirmative action, <laughs> I I have a love-hate relationship when this oh, topic comes up. It's, it's, it's so <laughs> loaded. Sure you,
1: it's a loaded. It's
0: I know loaded. it is. It is. Um, I think maybe if you could just kind of, if you could first just define kind of what it is, you know, from an objective standpoint, what is it, What what's it intended to do? If you could just start with that for people that have probably heard about this, but maybe don't. Couldn't say exactly what it is.
1: Okay. I guess in a nutshell, if I can use that, yeah. Um, yeah. I would say it's more or less a government action program that really kind of looks to redress some of the historical injustices that marginalized communities or marginalized identity groups had faced from a employment and educational standpoint. And so it's supposed uh-huh. to address... Um, discrimination in a positive way by not giving quota opportunities, but more or less giving special attention to race-based type of opportunities, admission or you know, not for employment. Um, okay. So or gender-based. Right. Uh, so that's that's in its abbreviated version.
0: Yeah, sure. Basically, making sure there's equality in the workplace and on the college mm-hmm. campus, like all those places to try to assure that people aren't going to be told no because of what they look like. Right.
1: And it was an executive order. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. back in the sixties.
0: Right. Okay. So I feel like with that, there's this misconception, there's probably lots of misconceptions, but the biggest one I think, and tell me what you think is that some people think that it is allowing minority groups to quote unquote skate by, like to get in, to college, for example, easier than anybody else? Like I've, you know, you've heard people say like, oh, if you're a Native American, you can get into any college that you want. Like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, like it's just allowing people from minority groups to get in easier and th- therefore making it harder for like white people to, you know, get jobs or get into college. What would you say to someone who thought that that's what sort of affirmative action did?
1: Um, I would say that's incorrect. It's not an automatic shoe in to many of these institutions um, of you know higher education or government institution or you know just jobs in general. The individual still has to have some qualifications, still has to have qualifications to even be considered. Yeah. Um, to be you know awarded the opportunity, um, but again, a misconception is it actually benefited women more than white women that is more than minorities and mm-hmm. and that's due to um a lot of the 70s and 80s it was a lot of women's movements you know yeah. a lot of women's progress and yeah. these women were um becoming school teachers like the it was taking off more job opportunities you know in the form of being teachers or being in the medical field um or being yeah. engineers so they had more opportunity to enter into the workforce than, let's say, our, you know, Hispanic males or our black males. Um, And then we had other, I want to say, reforms being rolled back. I mean, you know, other legislation being rolled back. We had a big bout with prison incarceration still taking place. So, I mean, how can, you know, African-Americans or black males, if we're going to speak in candor, Um, take jobs away from people, escape by when they're fighting another battle of perplexity in in society. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, not to say that these white women or women in general didn't have to have, again, qualifications, but it did allow more, I want to say, gender minority um, individuals into the the framework um, to redress some of those historically excluded groups. You know, so I would just say it's a big, big topic, but just know that There's no, like, automatic shoe-in. There's no quotas in place. There's no, you know, formula that's saying because you are Black or because you are a Hispanic or Native American or Asian American individual, you have this opportunity. You still have to put in the work to be um, considered, you know, for the opportunity.
0: Right, yeah. So would you say... What would you say if someone thought like, okay, yeah, I get that, that it's like supposed to help make things more equal, but, and I'm saying this because I had someone say this to me recently and I was kind of speechless, like, I don't even <laughs> know how to respond to that. Um, but someone, a white person was saying to me that affirmative action is discriminatory against white people because it makes it easier for people of other races to get into school, therefore making it harder for white people to get into school, like as if like spots are being taken or so- something like that, I guess. What, what would you say to that Ooh. argument so that I can be prepared
1: next oh, time when wow. someone says that to oh. me? If there's a person you care about, right? It had its <laughs> if it's someone you don't care about, you walk away. I mean, it, it's always tough, but I would really and truly say I think the purpose of affirmative action, if I was to say this to this individual, yeah. if this individual was to say it again, I would I would I would argue that, you know, it was created to create an accurate reflection of the demographics in our world around us, right? Things yeah. are trending. And if we want to make sure that we're having a accurate reflection and having a qualified, available workforce to do certain jobs in a job market or just to be represented in the framework then affirmative action has to be taken into consideration to create that fair access for employment, for education, and things of that nature. So it's not taking jobs away because, again, you still have to be qualified. It's only redressing some of the historical injustices that have taken place since mm-hmm. um, de jure and de facto segregation and discrimination. That mm-hmm. That's what I would say. Um, and I'm, like, And that's just me trying to be... Proper and polite and caring yeah. to say, <laughs> you know, look at the demographics, um, the way that, you know, in 2030 or, you know, 2050, it'll be a minority majority, right? Right. We'll be It'll be more minorities uh, who inhabit the world around us. Wouldn't it make sense to have a purposeful process or a, pl- a process in place that at least grants some fair opportunity? To uh, become an educated citizen, to be able to fulfill those workplace opportunities, and have an accurate reflection of the job market or the world around us in the job market. Yeah, but it's hard. It's a hard question to answer. Yeah, (sighs) it's a tough one. Um, Uh, Yeah. So I I I know know. I probably didn't help you. No,
0: you did. You did.
1: But um, that's that's what I would say. I would just say you know wasn't created to take job opportunities or you know educational opportunities away, but more or less to address. The 350 plus years of degradation that happened to minorities uh, from a gender race, national origin.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just because I I would say it's fair to say, like, yeah, it might be harder for like someone that is white to get a job Mm -hmm. in the sense that it's more competitive because they're being equal in who they're, you know, considering for the for the position but does that make it discrimination yeah. I, I don't think so you know yeah. what I mean like that's that's kind of how I see it so and there's
1: been several court cases I mean I'm not we don't have to process them but where certain things like that were upheld, right like oh this is you know discrimination right? right like the regent case in California like that and you know they said in the medical school that it was bid slots were being taken of the hundred seats in the medical school 16 were being help for african americans right mm-hmm. but then they quickly addressed that it was about quotas and so they that's unconstitutional but to say that of the 100 medical seats if we want to have a diverse populace or you know a diverse representation in the medical field that you just can't have those seats just reserved for individuals who aren't of minority status like you got to have give them some type of special attention and say all right they might not have gone to the best schools but they are in the top 10% at their school. So we need to give them a look, you know, something right. like that. Right. Um, and that's just a quick and dirty synopsis or something of why it's important.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. I I wanted to ask you about that just because I think that is maybe one misconception that people have just when we're thinking about simply getting into college mm-hmm. for minority groups, like, Oh, it's, it should be easy for them to get into college because they're a minority. But yeah that's definitely not the case like Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean make it easier on them than it is for anybody else so so yeah thank you for addressing that and then I also want to talk about like after like a person of color for example gets into a school or a person that's a gender minority or whatever it is we often think like okay getting into school is the big win like that's great they got into college they're going to college woohoo like awesome And that is it's a huge deal like it's great but kind of a lot of what your research is focused on is that experience at college and sometimes it can be really negative sometimes it can be really positive so can you just talk about um, kind of that basically tell us why like talking about um, well we might need to define some terms I guess like terms that we would use like first of all okay PWI can you define that for people
1: okay a predominantly <laughs> a predominantly white institution essentially that means more than 50% of your student body enrollment is made up of white heritage students white or white heritage students
0: okay yeah um so that's what a pwi is and then if you talk about like retention rates can you just I guess define what retention rates are in case anybody doesn't know.
1: Okay. Retention rates at the university, they essentially deal with from semester to semester, um, the likelihood or unlikelihood of a student returning to college. Um, so it builds on semesters. Um, now students are tracked on 150% time federally. So that means, um, 12 semesters of college work. So that's Semester to semester from freshman to, you know, senior year. However long that's going to take, you got 12 semesters (laughs) um, that they're tracking you on. So retention um, is tracked in that regard. Is is a student returning to the school that they enrolled in when they were a freshman? I mean, you know, returning semester to semester.
0: Right, yeah. And then graduation rates is, it's similar but a little bit different in, like, are they actually getting the degree? Like, are they actually graduating?
1: Yes, are they actually obtaining the degree and at our institution it's actually unique because we actually do not grant the degree until the financial bill is paid. So okay. if a student did complete all their coursework 120 hours or whatever it takes of college credit, if a student has an outstanding bill, the degree will not be awarded until um, the bill is paid. okay yeah it's another I mean I can't speak for every other institution but that's just another in my opinion hurdle or barrier. Sure. That's not supportive, in my opinion, but we work through it and we make sure that we try to get students their bills paid on time so that they can be an on-time graduate.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay. So can you talk about like, so yeah, back to what I was saying earlier, like getting to college, that's a good, a big success, but then actually staying in college, thinking about the retention rates and graduation rates, staying in school, getting the degree, that's another set of hurdles that people from minority groups have to overcome. So can you just talk about that college experience for minorities like especially racial minorities and why just getting in isn't the biggest hurdle? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Um so the access within becomes important. Yeah. Yeah, just not getting in it doesn't work anymore, right? Like every school around the nation around the country is trying to fulfill some type of diversity. And again, I'm saying quota, even though we we don't recognize quotas, but trying to feel some type of structural diversity. We need X amount of number of students from each background. So that's without a doubt. So access is rampant now. Students are given access to college. Um, But the access within becomes important, especially for minoritized students or minority students, because they become minoritized students. They don't have a lot of understanding around um, the financial and economic literacy that they need to have, um, and that's from budgeting their own meal plans to fast food relations. So understanding um, that students need extra attention in that regard. You know, transitioning to another aspect: social and networking opportunities. Do students have connections? Do they know? You know, how to use certain services? Do they have mentors? Do they have you know structures in place? or services in place that allow them to get to services and get information in a timely fashion and so that they can react and utilize that information. I think another big, big piece that plays a role in this matriculation process, and matriculation is the same thing as um, persistence and moving through, is community. Mm-hmm. It's really important for minority students to find interests and in hobbies um, that they are familiar with from where they, you know, the different backgrounds that they come from. If if, if a student is coming from a metropolitan area, a, a big city, or something of that magnitude, you know, and it's a lot of opportunity, a lot of, I guess, I don't want to just look at it from a retail standpoint, but it's a lot of uh, more more uh, businesses around for students, or more things for students to get engaged in. How do we find those same things to get students engaged and integrated, you know, at the campus level Mm -hmm. um, and making sure that their climate, the climate for them welcomes their diversity Mm -hmm. um, and is fair to their diversity um, and embraces it. So we have to make sure that community is there. And that takes everyone from faculty and staff down to peer to peer relations. Um, But it's intentional. And I think the lucky thing for, you know, and I don't speak, I speak highly of my institution because I think. We have taken those steps from top down. Yeah, for you know all the things I can say that's bad about every institution, or sometimes bad about my institution. We do have some good things that we do do really well, and that is embracing diversity and intersectionality and, and eliminating the division among students. Mm-hmm. And so we put in a lot of support programs, first generation programs, mm-hmm. Black male initiatives, student success initiatives. We we're in, we're underway of. Um, revisiting our campus campus to make sure that it lines up with the things that's happening around our current administration, you know, nationally, and things that's happening around the experiences that our students are having um, when they're coming to our institution. And and we do a lot of assessment and focus group to make sure that we're getting at that information to have a a community where students can live, learn, and grow, and be active members um, and dedicated members to society. So, I do give us a a major pat on the back for engaging our every stakeholder from faculty, staff and student, and really taking our voice and trying to um, retool what needs to be retooled to aid in the efforts of support for intercultural relations.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Well, and I think what you you alluded to this already, but just in looking at it from an outsider standpoint, what I've seen a lot in the research and what probably a lot of people have heard too is that it's hard to succeed when you don't see a lot of people that look like you also succeeding. So whether that's because there's not students that look like you that are around you, like you're at a PWI and there's just not a lot of diversity on your campus, or maybe it's in the faculty, like you don't have professors that are, you know, the same gender or the same skin color as you, anything like that, like it, it makes it another barrier to succeed, and therefore makes it harder to connect like what with what you were talking about. And we know that from research that when students make those connections, whether it's, you know, and I think most people could probably personally relate to this, like people that are you know, like in a sorority or fraternity or, you know, in a student organization that they're really passionate about or have a job on campus, like those people are going to feel more like they belong on their campus. Like they they have more community, they have more friends, they they just do better than a student that doesn't have any social connections, right? Um, That's kind of just common sense, but also what the research shows. And so I think that is such a huge part of it that You know, especially for people like me that are white, have never probably had to think about that. So I have found that really compelling in the research that I've done.
1: No, no, definitely. I think it lines up perfectly. Like you said, you got to have some some things that offset some of the the disadvantages that students from marginalized communities come in with. You know, again, um, having faculty that look like you or even just competent faculty who are culturally sensitive. Sure, yeah. And, you know, the one, when we do get lucky and have upper administration who look like the students that we're continuously recruiting from minority realms, when we have those individuals at the table, they're able to address policies and procedures and practices that are kind of outdated, right? The ones that don't really socialize our minority students into having a safer community. Like when when we have them at the table, they're able to speak on our behalf, and, and I, I'm I'm grateful to see an institution like mine, you know, take those steps. And we still have room to grow, but it's good to know when you see equity report cards put out by Sean Sean Harper, um, you're able to see okay, we got work to do, and we can't sit idle on this, or we'll be in, in critical times. We'll be on the brink of the next news story if we don't react right. if we don't react so it's good it's good you need yeah. you need people who inspire who look like you but we also need just culturally sensitive and ethnically sensitive individuals in some of these seats yeah we need the right people on the right bus in the right seat
0: right would you say that kind of what your school is currently doing like do you think that's a trend across most campuses in the country or do you think you guys are ahead of the curve or what would you kind of say is like the state of most college campuses as far as that goes
1: Uh, I'm, I'm certain every campus you know whether well resourced or moderately resourced has some type of diversity equity and inclusion plan or inclusive plan where it's looking at a combination of things to make sure that students are doing well but So I'll say yes. I'll say yes. Um, It it may be at a low capacity, moderate capacity or high capacity, depending on the resources. But every institution does have a diversity plan. It's just how well is it carried out and how, you know, how is that top down really meeting with that bottom up concern? Um, And I just think we're lucky right now to be going through a campus master plan um, where every stakeholder voice is being heard. We're lucky to be going, we brought a consultant group in to kind of look at our mission, values, objectives of the university to kind of just kind of, I guess, be trending with what's happening in society now. So we're undergoing a new campus compass um, to kind of make sure that we're ticking in the right direction um, for some of these diversity, equity and inclusion issues that happens around us.
0: Cool. Yeah. Well, and just to give people that are listening some perspective I looked up this report while we were talking um, just about graduation rates just because I feel like we can broadly talk about them, but to give an actual number just might help people to picture like what kind of is going on right now. So I found this report from Inside Higher Ed, which I will put a link to in the show notes, but it is looking at a report from students at two-year and four-year colleges that entered in the year 2010 and what their graduation rates were compared by race. And so they looked at four different races, but I'll just compare black and white just for the sake of comparison. So white students completed their degree, graduated at a 62% success rate. So 62% of the students that entered the schools left with their degree. Which even that is really not that high. Like that's that's and this is a national study, so it's from colleges all over the country. It's not like most people would probably think, oh, like ninety percent, like not that many students drop out from school, right? But a lot of them do, or or maybe like you were saying with your school, maybe they don't drop out, but they, you know, for financial reasons can't obtain their degree or whatever it is. So sixty-two percent was for white students, and then um, for black students, it's thirty-eight percent. And yeah, so I
1: am looking at the same. You are looking now. at I'm that, looking one? At, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Asian students sixty-three point two percent. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and and I just think. Like looking at black and Hispanic students, you know, had lower graduation rates, but I think it's significant because it's not just by like a few percentage points, you know what I mean? Like it's a significant Mm -hmm. amount and it's not just by chance. Like it's not because like you were saying, like black students don't want to go to college. Like it's not because of that. They were obviously qualified to get into school. They had to meet the same qualifications that other students had to meet and yet they weren't able to get their degree while there and so i think that's mm-hmm. to me like looking at that and seeing how much of a gap there is between those numbers is why like what you do on your campus is so important because mm-hmm. obviously there's something that's not happening in the four years at school that needs to be happening like does that make sense
1: it does and even going i mean they can't the viewers can't see the 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 chart or the even the report we're looking at but just looking at that six-year outcome rate, right on that 150 percent time. Look at the not enrolled yeah. of the number of uh, participants, right? The number of people surveyed: 44.6 percent of Black students not enrolled. Yeah, um, that's that's amazing. Yeah. Like, that's higher than the the amount that graduates. Right.
0: Yeah, that's almost half the population of Black students that were surveyed. So, that's yeah, so. it's. It's just, I feel like we feel like we're progressing and we are, but also like we need to remember that there is still a big gap and like we still have a lot of ways to go. And yeah, like getting into college, like affirmative action, like you said, that was in the 60s and 70s, like that was a long time ago. And that was just for getting into school. And so now I think looking at what actually happens in school too is is a huge part of that. But obviously too, from this report, we can see some of them, some minority students still aren't, going to school so there's a lot of a lot of things there to think about and this might feel like overwhelming for people to hear what would you say because obviously not everybody like you and I have a job on a college campus where we feel like oh this is our niche like this is where we can you know make a difference or whatever what would you say to just like people who are listening who have all kinds of jobs or you know or maybe even stay-at-home moms or whatever it is that they do like what would you say they should do Knowing this now, like what can they do with this information?
1: I think I stated this earlier uh, to some extent that everybody has a role. Everyone can play a part, whether that's writing letters, right, to (laughs) to your local government, not just focusing on the big fish, the big, you know, what's happening on Washington, but even just what's happening locally in your own district, school districts and communities Mm -hmm. fighting against those injustices when you do see them. And that looks like not just in the educational realm, but from a, a labor workforce standpoint. Um, when you mm-hmm. know HR isn't, you know, doing the right things and you work and you see this happening to minority individuals, and black and brown men being treated less than, speak up. I mean, again, we know it, it's happening, but sometimes we don't have, it's not our problem. That's, that's, that's what we, we like to, you know, affectionately say. It's not our problem until it becomes our problem. And when I say it yeah. becomes our problem, I, I, I look at that as a burden becomes placed upon you for not making a decision to act. Or even becomes our problem when you're the identity group now who's being faced with scrutiny um, and looking for others to represent you. So I just look at it as um, when you do have an opportunity to say something, please do. Um, when you do have an opportunity um, and our like to, for individuals who who are listening, who are in you know constructs of higher education, do all you can to kind of you know help bridge some of those achievement gaps that we you know shared with you guys through a report. Simplest thing, just being there for a student, going beyond the call of duty of what's in your job description, um, can be the world to a student because making meaningful connections outside of the classroom. It can go a long way. Mm-hmm. And then inside of the classroom, judging students based on what the literature is, uh, right? You you know what the literature mm-hmm. is. And understanding that sometimes you have to make adjustments to compensate, not to say give a pass and let the student skate, but really understand that it could be a true educational difference or in a cultural difference that that student might be mm-hmm. facing in your classroom and that you might, you might need to be twice as attentive and understanding that that student needs a little bit more to succeed. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I would say to any, any of the listeners, that it's everybody's job and that it's not passing the book, but really stepping in and engaging in the process so that it doesn't become a bigger problem. Sure. And so that we can get to universal success. Yeah. Right. I sound like real, like, world peace, but <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, that's what we need. We need healing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, if you had to pick one main message that you want people to walk away with today, what would it be? Or would that be it? what you just said?
1: It'll be that on top of uh, just just become a part of the solution, not the problem. It'll just be that. It'll be that. Yeah. You know, let's get out of this deficit-based type of perspective and look at the assets that we all like bring. Mm-hmm. It's assets that our minority males, our men of color, our black males bring to society? Can we start to tease out and parse out what those true assets are so that we can all learn from one another? Mm -hmm. It's tough, it's scary at times, but you know, fear is a a stabilizer. Fear will stabilize you and and paralyze you from a way that you don't want to engage in a process. Kind of move beyond your fear. Yeah. And really give students a chance, give black males a chance, give African-Americans a chance in this process.
0: Absolutely. I like that. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Okay. I know you have a lot of work to do today, so I don't want to keep you very long. I just i am going to ask okay. you a few fun questions. All right. Um, fun stuff. <laughs> fun stuff. Okay. I think I remember this from when we recorded the first time, but who would you say is your role model?
1: I uh, am. Yeah. Um, I gotta go with my brother. I love
0: okay, my yeah, that's
1: brother. what you said last time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my brother. I mean, yeah, he, he's dynamic, man. He's actually my middle brother, who's now my oldest brother. Um, okay, on my mother's side, but I mean, we we're, we're Siamese twins without being really connected. <laughs> like, like honestly, uh-huh. um, he has given so much for me to be in a position that I am today, and I, I mean, I'm super grateful. Like, I'm not indebted to him. He would tell me. You're not indebted to me, but I feel indebted because he stepped in and played a pivotal role of being a man in my life. Some college education, but left and came back to take care of me so that I can have an opportunity to take care of others, to get an education and be doing the work that I'm doing now. So my success is ultimately his success. So anybody I've ever helped, my brother Jakari Rose has helped as well. Because uh, I wouldn't Mm -hmm. be who I am today without a lot of his guidance and support and just responsibility of being a man and teaching me that.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Have you told him that before? Does he know you're... Yeah, yeah, I tell him
1: all the time. Like, we get super emotional, and it's so cool because it's like bromance. (laughs) And um, that's my guy. Um, We talk all the time, like all the time. And um, he keeps me sane, and um, I'm, I'm able to sometimes use some of my knowledge to educate him on things and he really yeah. truly picks up on it and he takes it back to his learning like his area and do, and does the learning and i mean does the teaching so I, I see that each one reach one teach one type of philosophy uh play out when i when i talk to my brother about yeah. real issues and real things uh, in life that's
0: cool yeah that's really cool yeah. okay what would you say is the most impactful book you've read
1: Ooh, um now you know, Mackenzie, we don't get to do a lot of extra reading outside of school. I know. Uh, but I'm I'll
0: scared do... it. for your answer because you, did, you actually did the reading in school too. You actually <laughs> read the textbooks and I just skimmed them.
1: Uh-oh. Uh, but no, it worked. I, it worked. You did a heck of a job. But no, um, I'm engaged in a course now. It's a education of American. His, I mean, uh, history of American uh, Education. And I had the opportunity uh-huh. to read Dr. Christopher Spann's book uh, from okay. The Cotton Field to the Schoolhouse. And it's just an amazing oh, okay. book. It's uh, It talks about basically African-Americans after the Civil War and the first universal public school system in Mississippi. It's a lot of firsthand accounts in there. And it just talks about how much... African Americans had to fight tooth and nail to even educate themselves privately before even getting a public school system established. Right. But it just really shows society education really wasn't built for African Americans to even complete uh you know any type of schooling. So it was a really really great read. Um, I encourage others to pick up the book. It's again a small case study on a particular area, Mississippi, but I mean it shows if you can scale that up what what was happening around the world around the nation so that and then the second book i'll say is um the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership okay um it's by john maxwell and i have been reading this book to kind of sharpen my skills um and being a great leader in my community in my um in the various communities that i belong to Uh um and I'm also in the leadership class, so it was a, a designated book for us to read. And so it's going to always be something that I continue to um, revert back to okay. to read. So I, I share that as well.
0: All right, cool. Who's teaching the class that you're in that you were talking about, the history of American educa- or American
1: history? Oh, the history of Amer- yeah. American education. His name is Dr. Christopher Spann. He's actually a protege. Of Dr. James Anderson, who's okay. another one of my big fans. Okay. And then Dr. Trent is, uh, Dr. William Trent is another great individual who I look oh, up to. Oh, yeah. So Dr. James Anderson, Christopher Spare, and, and, and Bill Trent. Dr. Trent, if you guys listen listening, thank you for pouring into me. Oh,
0: man. They're amazing. That's so cool. So you're reading his book while you're in his class.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's um, cool. It's pretty neat, man. And um, he teaches history in a really, really great way. Oh, okay. for everyone to learn, <laughs> for yeah. everybody to learn.
0: That's awesome. Really cool. Okay, um, is there anything that you've listened to recently that you would recommend to other people, like a documentary or podcast okay. or TED Talk or anything like that?
1: Yeah, a couple different things. I have been listening to a couple different podcasts. One is uh, Motivation for Black People, so for any of my Black listeners. Um, uh-huh. Justin Michael Williams, I think. Yeah, that's his name. Justin Michael Williams. That's my guy. Okay. Uh, I don't know him, but I like, he just <laughs> brings me so much energy, man. I really enjoy listening to him. I listen uh-huh. to the uh, podcast Leaders in the Trenches, and that's with Gene Hammett. Um, just some different, good, insightful information on there. As far as uh, TED Talks, I had the opportunity um, through another course to get the opportunity to listen to, uh, I want to say his name, Victor Rios. Um, he talks a lot about grit um and taking your scholarly you know literature and using it as a practitioner, so that scholarly to practitioner pipeline or tandem really living that out in your in your everyday work in higher education and taking students for what they are and really seeing the assets and not the deficits in them. so I thought that was a yeah. good ted talk,
0: okay, good recommendations, yeah. What about, oh, is there a brand or product that you're really liking lately?
1: For me, ah, huh, man, I am, I'm fashion. I like fashion. So I'm really yeah. into, I'm just, I've really been just any Nikes. I love Nikes uh, beyond just all the social justice things that they set up, but just I'm a Nike guy. I like all types of nikes okay um, so that's a brand that i really just kind of had an uptick in and buying their brand and product uh, from shirts down to you know um workout apparel things of that nature so you'll see me in something nike <laughs> or something you know like you know i just love nike brand mm-hmm. durable flexible and um it, it's it's comfortable
0: Really, I feel like whenever I, well, I don't see you anymore, but whenever I used to see you, you were always in, like, business clothes.
1: I had that. Uh, yeah, I still have that going yeah. on. I still have that going on. But, like, just the every day for me not to have to step into, you know, a, a meeting or something or yeah. I have on my Nike, okay. like, now. Okay. <laughs> like, on my Saturdays, I try to do yeah. that. Um, but, yeah, I'm always in my business. So thank you for taking notice. Yeah, a well,
0: you I always love seeing your outfits. They, oh. uh, You are very good at assembling your, your outfits, looking sharp. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's, again, why you need to get an Instagram account so that people can see your clothing.
1: Yeah. I know, I know. I, in 2019, I might have an Instagram <laughs> okay. and, and I don't have a Facebook. So those might be 2019 features for me. Okay, um, for I mean, the world to really see who I am. Yeah. Um, beyond the podcast, beyond the podcast.
0: Oh, that would be great! You realize that 2019 is exactly a month away today. It
1: is. It <laughs> is. And in a month's time, a lot can happen. So.
0: Yeah. Um, okay.
1: I plan on continue to develop, and I think the viewers or listeners today they they'll probably be seeing me. Um, okay. On, on some social medias.
0: All right. Well, before this airs, I'm going to check back and see if you have an Instagram handle that I can share with everybody or not. Um, But until then, how can people, is there a way they can connect with you if they want to learn more or any resources you would want to share with them if they want to learn more about what you do and all that good stuff? Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. Um, I have a Twitter. Um, I'm not as active on it, but I I mean, if someone tweets me, I I think I'll respond. I I get the notification. But uh, it's uh, okay. at the real Rose, okay, I think that's what it is. Let me let me just double check. I haven't been on there in a while, okay. but um, again, I think I know that's gonna be one of my to-dos. Uh, but yeah, at the real Rose, that's the Twitter handle. Okay, and then you know you okay. can just email me at j underscore rose seven seven three at yahoo dot com. All right, and I pretty much you know just it seems like it's a different type of way of communicating but so many people have reached out net magnitude just for just quick talks or they met me somewhere and that's the email address that i give out and um, i'm pretty responsive
0: cool that's great and i'm just really excited i'm i'm super thankful that you took the time again to do this thank you so much um it was so great and i learned a lot i'm sure everybody else did too and I'm just really excited to see what you do because I just know that you're going to do a lot of awesome things and already have impacted a lot of students' lives, but you're going to continue to impact more lives. And I just can't wait to see what, what's in store for you.
1: Oh, thank <laughs> you. And and I just want to give you, I don't know if your listeners, do your listeners know?
0: Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The great yeah,
1: news you do. share with me. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't want to you know, be a, a spoiler, um, but I just want to say- I want to wish you a successful birth (laughs) i know it's still early in the game but congratulations big time congratulations to you you. thank you i think you're you're going to be a stellar mom um you're an amazing person uh you have a true you know you truly have a big heart and um i know that you're going to continue to impact the students that you work with in athletics and beyond and that your, yeah. your your child is lucky.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, thank lucky, you.
1: Lucky, honestly, man. And your husband. So, uh-huh. um, big time. So. Thanks.
0: That's so nice of you to say. Oh, man, it makes me miss you. I wish we were still in classes together. Although, not in classes, but.
1: Right, right, right. <laughs> just crossing paths.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I
1: think we will. I think we'll cross paths um, from this. You know it's a friendship. Yes, So, I think that's absolutely. what it'll be forever.
0: Maybe someday I'll work at a university that you're the president of. Who knows? Ooh,
1: and I would <laughs> love that. I would love that. Give you all the control. Go ahead,
0: run, run the thing. Uh, uh, thank you. Well, this is awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time, Justin.
1: Oh, no problem at all. Um, anytime I can help, don't hesitate to reach out. You know how to reach me.
0: Thank you. So now you can see why I insisted on recording this conversation a second time. There was just too much good stuff to let go to waste. I appreciate Justin's insights so much. I love that he has personal experiences that he can share, but also that he's done research on these things and found trends and can share the experiences of others. I without a doubt know that he is going to make a great president of a university someday, and I sincerely hope that I get to work for him because that would be amazing. I think what makes Justin's input really valuable is that this isn't just a theory, this isn't just stuff he's read about, but he has that personal experience that he can touch on. He said that he has been that overlooked student before that realized why this was important. I wonder if you have ever thought about the fact that sometimes getting to college for students is a small success in and of itself, but it's not the only goal. Getting through college is a whole nother task in and of itself. And this isn't just for black males, but this is for most minority groups. I think what Justin shared at the end, that we can't have the mindset that this is not our problem, is so true. It's all of us together, it's a societal issue, it impacts us all whether we realize it or not, and it's something that we can all work towards together. I hope this conversation got you thinking about the significance of Black history, the things that still need to be accomplished, and how you can be a part of that. Again, don't forget to leave a rating or a review before you leave. And while you're over there, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you can get all the latest episodes straight to your downloads. I have lots of good conversations coming. I've been doing some amazing interviews with awesome, awesome people that I can't wait to share with you. I've been trying to save up for when this baby comes so that I'm ready to go. So I have a lot of good content coming. Don't hesitate to hit me up in the meantime and hit Justin up as well. He would love to hear from you. It might take him a while to reply to your DM on Twitter, but he will for sure do it. Like I said, he's been a great friend to me and he will not hesitate to help anybody that he can. So be thinking about the significance of black history and what it means to all of us. Go back and listen to my conversation with Janelle Elliott if you haven't yet. Remember that we all have assets that we bring to this society. And if you have a chance to say something, do it and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out.